everybody, this is Jay, and typically on this podcast, The Things I Should Have Said, I walk off of stage right after giving a message at my church, at Friends Church in Orange, and then I talk about all the things that I should have said, or the things that I did say that I wish I didn't say, but this episode is a little different. As we are wrapping up this season, uh, I am recording this episode before getting on stage. So Easter is coming up this Sunday. I am prepping for Easter this Sunday, and there is a lot that goes on to prepping for Easter. Pastors kind of joke about how Easter is the Super Bowl of uh, the church calendar, and uh, worship pastors, this is where they go above and beyond of using all of their creative juices to make much of their Savior's story, and it's just, it's a lot. And so I wanted to record this podcast before uh, stepping on the stage to give you some insight there, and then also to give you really specific insight to my life, especially with the health issues that I am facing now. So every year, Easter can feel like a daunting task. It can feel overwhelming. And this year, as I prepare for Easter, I am facing overwhelming personal circumstances as well. If you listened to the previous episode, you heard me talk about the health crisis that I am facing. If you did not hear that previous uh, episode, let me fill you in on uh, what's going on in my life medically right now. So two years ago, I was diagnosed with a brain tumor and then declared a brain tumor survivor. So I was diagnosed with a brain tumor that was the size of a golf ball right at the center of my brain in a place called the eloquent cortex. It's the place in your brain that gives you a sense of self, uh, helps you know who you are and relate with other people. Very high-functioning cognition happens in this part of the brain. And my tumor uh, would require, it wasn't a cyst-like tumor, it was actually infected brain tissue, and it would require them to remove a golf ball-sized portion of my brain from the very center. And so because of that, they deemed it inoperable. However, there are just a handful of surgeons in the world who have the skill and the technology to attempt this type of surgery. And I was uh, given access to one. It was one of those really God stories, how I was able to uh, get treatment from this guy. But uh, he felt comfortable going in and operating. However, By his own research and data, he did not believe he would be able to remove the entire tumor, but he was going to get as much as he could. And yet I went in and uh, for this surgery, this is kind of crazy. They keep you awake for the surgery. So I was awake during this whole surgery. That's part of the technology that makes it possible. He's communicating with me. I'm talking with him. I remember everything about it. It was a trip. You can only imagine. Uh, But He put me back to sleep after the surgery to take me out of it. And when I woke up, he told me that he got the entire tumor. And then the post-operative MRI confirmed that, yes, all of the tumor had been removed. We praise God. It was a miracle. I fully recovered, was given a clean bill of health. And then two years later, just a couple months ago, the tumor recurred started having seizures again. I knew something wasn't right. I went in for my MRI, and sure enough, a little tumor had returned, which means this time 
I'm not just facing a brain tumor, but I'm facing brain cancer. So I'm, I'm a brain tumor survivor by the miraculous hand of God, and I am now facing brain cancer. And I want to talk a little bit about what it's like to be a pastor who's leading a congregation who has to face brain cancer, a disease that has no cure. They don't know what causes it. They don't know how to cure it. They're trying to make advances, but at this point, there's no great answer. And so I want to let you know some of the thoughts that are going through my head, some of the emotions that I'm feeling, what it's like to lead a church, uh, what it's like to uh, love my family, just what it's like. And I think any of you, no matter what you're facing, uh, you're going you're gonna to relate to me on some points because we all face unknown. We all face problems that don't have a good answer. And so I don't want you to disconnect from me to say like, whoa, that's pretty extreme and I'm not facing anything that extreme. Uh, just listen to what God is doing in my heart and my mind and see if it applies to what you're facing in life. Or maybe you have somebody that you love that is facing some, something like this, and this might help you be able to be more empathetic towards them. So my friends all ask me the same questions about my emotions. My guy friends always immediately ask me, are you mad at God? And I get it. We uh, live in America, and in our culture, males immediate emotional response to most things is anger. And then I get further the idea that what they're saying is, Jay, you're a pastor. You have given your life to serving God and he's going to allow this to happen to you. Are you so angry at him? And I've got to be honest, I'm not. At least I'm not yet. Who knows? Talk to me in a little bit. Talk to me a year from now. I don't know. But right now, I'm not angry at him. I realize that I'm not the only one. Right now, uh, this year, there's going to be an estimated 30,000 people that will be diagnosed with the same disease that I have. If we tried to get together at a professional sporting arena, we would pack out the whole place. Some places wouldn't even be able to hold us. And I know that in that arena, there would be some people in there that if you compared our morality, I would be a, a way better person than they are. And then there'd be other people that their morality would be even greater than mine, way greater. Uh, there's people of all, all sorts that are facing this kind of disease. Um, I do not feel that God has targeted me, definitely. And then people wonder if uh, Satan has targeted me. And it's interesting because the previous podcast was on spiritual warfare. Some people ascribe to the idea that when you uh, are a pastor, you've got a large target on your back. I don't quite ascribe to that way of thinking. Uh, I think that disease is a part of our world, and that comes from Satan in God's economy, in God's kingdom. When it is fully established, there will be no disease left. Uh, so I get that that is from our enemy, but... Uh, people of all sorts have to face disease like this. I believe that the enemy wants to use this as a way to tear down people's faith and tear down the church and even tear down my faith. Uh, but I'm not going to allow him to get a, a foothold there. And so, no, I'm not, I'm not angry uh, with God about all of this. The next question that people ask me is, are you scared? 
And I'm going to be honest with you. No and yes. No, I'm not scared to die. I think the first time that I faced this brain tumor, I had to fill out the uh, do not resuscitate paperwork. I had to stare death in the eye, knowing that it was quite possible that I wouldn't make it out of the operating room. And I had to make peace with the fact that my life could end prematurely. And the process of dying, although it's unknown and that's always a little, uh, a little frightening, but overall, I'm not, I'm not afraid because I know that the end is good. I know that for all of us whose faith is in Jesus Christ, the end is victory. And uh, the presence of Jesus is even better than what I'm experiencing now. And so, no, there, there's no fear there. But where the fear really lies and where I'm still wrestling is it's the fear of what I'm leaving behind. It's the fear of my family and leaving them, which is hard to wrestle with. I've got a young daughter who's four. Uh, I've got a wife. Uh, we've been married for 15 years, and I love her with everything in my heart. And it is difficult to think uh, what will happen to them when I'm gone. And then it puts me right back to the same fear that I had when I asked my wife to marry me. This is such a trip. When I asked her to marry me, uh, she said yes. It was like one of the best days of my life. And then about a week after that, I freaked out. And it wasn't because I wasn't sure she was the right one to marry, the right one for me to marry. I mean, Honestly, if you knew her, you would know, like, she's out of my league. If I, if I wouldn't have asked her to marry me, everybody would have been like, Jay, you're an idiot. Um, don't let this woman get away. But I was freaking out all the same. And I went to a, a mentor of mine, and I asked him, why am, I, why am I so scared? And he asked me some questions, and it became evident that I was scared to provide for her. I was like, can I really marry this woman and start caring for her? her spiritual needs, her emotional needs, uh, chip in on the financial needs. And my mentor looked at me and said, Jay, God has been providing for her her entire life. And he is not so stupid to hand the reins over to you and just stop providing. He's going to continue to provide. He'll use you, Jay, as a way to provide but it is God who is the sole provider, both financially and emotionally. And now I'm at a place in life where I've got to believe that again. I was able to get there very easily the first time. After that meeting with my mentor, I left and I, I felt this huge relief. And I believed it, that God is the provider. And now I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, do I really think that I've been providing this whole time? That it hasn't been God providing for my family, using me as one of the tools in which he does it. But if I'm not here, couldn't God continue to provide since he is the source? Do I need to fear? And that's, that's what I'm still wrestling with, uh, wrestling in prayer. And I've seen him move my heart so far already. And so I know he's going to get me there. But some things take, take a lot of prayer, take a lot of wrestling, and I'll continue uh, to wrestle that way. So then what am I feeling? What is the emotion that I feel more than anything? To be honest with you, the emotion that I feel most is that I feel loved. I feel so loved right now. 
I feel loved by God, which I know it sounds crazy, especially if you're wondering, uh, aren't you angry with God? I just, he's so close and he's so present. And I see him guiding me every step of the way. And so I, I really feel loved by God. I feel so loved by my wife. Um, she is amazing how strong she is, how resilient she is, how caring she is. And I get to see all of that on display right now. And so I feel loved by her. And then I feel loved by my church, my church family. Um, they are so, so supportive and I am so grateful for them. And I just want to be real direct. If you're not a part of a, of a faith community, find one. Find one with people who really care for one another because it matters, especially when you come into a time like this. We need people around us that we can lean on, that are willing to lift us up, and to lift us onto their shoulders at some point, or willing to get down into whatever pit we find ourselves falling into and lift us back up. And that's what I'm experiencing right now at my church. And so I feel loved. Let me give you an example. When I stood before my church and I told them about the cancer and I told them how weak I really am, they stood and gave me a standing ovation. In my absolute weakness, they applauded me. And that blew me away. I, I felt so loved and supported by them. As soon as I got the diagnosis, I was in the Dunkin' Donuts parking lot and I was praying to God and asking him, what is going on? Why? Why would this be happening? If you did a miracle in my life two years ago, only to allow this to come back and for me to face something even more dangerous, why would that be? And I felt the Holy Spirit Take my mind to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 through 11, where Paul had prayed for some thorn to be removed from his side. And God responds by saying that his grace is going to have to be sufficient. And then Paul responds by saying, well then, when I'm weak, I'm strong, because God's power is perfected in weakness. And the Holy Spirit made it so clear to me that the miracle of last time was not just the healing of my brain and the tumor, but the healing that followed in my heart. And that that healing is not yet complete. And there's a new level of vulnerability that I need to get to, and I'm not going to get to it with my warped sense of strength. I grew up an American man, we're a little mixed up about masculinity and what strength really is, and I'm no different. And I have a strong sense that God is going to use this time I'm entering into, a time of weakness, to straighten out that false sense of strength and to teach me that his grace truly is sufficient for me and that his power is perfected in weakness and that truly when I'm weak, that is when I am strong. And so I've been meditating on 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Whatever you're going through right now in your life, find scripture 
that you resonate with and meditate on it. Pray and ask the the Lord through his Holy Spirit to direct you to a scripture that you can connect with. The other scripture that I am really meditating on is Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3 is the story of Daniel's friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who King Nebuchadnezzar set up uh, this big golden idol and ordered everybody to bow down to that idol or they would be thrown into the fiery furnace and burned to death. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were not going to bow down, and King Nebuchadnezzar was then going to throw them into the fire. So the reason why I have, I have uh, been drawn to this scripture was simply because the, the first brain surgery that I had, uh, afterwards, after I recovered and I came back to work and everybody saw me, everyone was amazed that you can't see the scar on my head. So if you've seen somebody that's had brain surgery, most often the scar is pretty gnarly. And to be honest, I was kind of hoping for that on one end because I'm not a very intimidating looking guy. I kind of smile too much to be uh, to be intimidating. And I thought, ooh, maybe if I have a cool scar, maybe that'll do it for me. But instead, uh, you can't see my scar and everybody marvels at it. Like, oh my gosh, it's like nothing ever happened. And I felt this infinity towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because in Daniel chapter three, when they leave the fire because, spoiler alert, uh, God saves them from the fire. Miraculously, his uh, angel, who looks like a son of man, thought to be Jesus, uh, intervenes on their behalf and saves them from the fire. When they come out, it says that you can't even smell the smoke on them. And I felt, man, that's kind of like the miracle I just experienced. You can't even see the scar on my head. It's like it never even happened. So I'm still meditating on that because there's another part of the story that I'm resonating with now where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they stand up to King Nebuchadnezzar and he threatens them with throwing them into the fire, uh, they say to him, our God can deliver us. And they say it with boldness. And then they say, but even if he doesn't, and I've always, I've always had trouble with that because I've always felt like they used it kind of as a cop-out, kind of as if, uh, you know, they're on this stage in, in front of all of these people confronting a world leader, a very powerful leader, and they're saying, our God is more powerful. Our God can deliver us from your hand. But even if he doesn't, he's still better than you. And I always thought of it as a cop-out, but then I realized they were probably held for a while. And they probably had to wrestle in isolation with the question, if God doesn't deliver us, do we still think that he's good? Because what I went through last time and being miraculously delivered from this brain tumor that should have been inoperable, I believe with everything in me that God has the power to save that he is able to save. He did it one time. I know that he can do it again. What I'm now having to wrestle with is, and if he doesn't choose to save me, is he still good? And again, like I told you, my main concern is with my family, and that's where I'm wrestling right now. And so I fully intend to continue to wrestle with God until my surgery, which is scheduled in just a month, and before going into surgery, I want to be able to say with full confidence that I believe my God can and will save me. But even if he doesn't, I still believe that he is good. My second brain surgery is fast approaching. 
which means I start this new clinical trial treatment this Wednesday. I have no idea how my body is going to tolerate this treatment. The side effects are very similar to chemo, but it's just a little bit different. And let me remind you, Easter's coming up this Sunday. So I start treatment on Wednesday, and then I preach extra services on Easter because everybody comes to church on Easter. We double in size. We double the amount of services we do. And it is an amazing time. And so there is something in my soul that wants nothing more than to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, that he was resurrected, that God saved him from the grave, and that he can save all of us from the grave, that death no longer has a sting. Because of our faith in Jesus Christ, we will experience the resurrected life. And so that is so important to me. And this is such a big deal service. And guess what? I'm going to have to wing it because I'm going to be up in San Francisco at a treatment facility up there uh, taking on all this treatment. I have no idea how my body is going to react to it. My prep time is going to be minimal. And that, so I've already decided that no matter how I'm feeling, uh, if, even if I'm not able to do a minute of prep this week, I'm okay with that. I'm just going to wing it. Because let's be honest, this is what I live for. I'm not talking about the Easter show. I'm talking about the gospel of Jesus. This is what saved my life. And I should be able to stand up in front of people and for 20 minutes, 25 minutes, be able to tell them the story of the resurrection of Jesus Christ in a way that is compelling, in a way that is life-changing. I should be able to offer out the hope of resurrection and call people to faith. So sometimes on these big weekends, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves that's unnecessary. The story tells itself. It's a miraculous story of God becoming man, taking on the sins of mankind, defeating death, and then offering us a way to forgiveness and a way back home. And so I can't wait for Easter this year. This week is going to be gnarly. If you're listening to this, and you'd be willing to send up a prayer, prayer for me that my body tolerates this treatment well and that I have strength to stand up on stage and to proclaim his goodness. And then after Easter, I'm stepping out for a while. Easter will be the last time that I'm on stage uh, and I'll be stepping out of the church, taking leave, going on sabbatical. And really, I'm not worried about that because this isn't my church. This is Jesus's church. And last time I went out recovering from my first brain surgery, we grew. Good things continued to happen. People's lives were transformed. And I believe Jesus is going to do it again. I believe maybe even more powerful as he's teaching me this lesson of how his power is perfected in weakness. And we're going into a time as a church even uh, in a little bit of weakness. So I'm okay with stepping out for a while. That doesn't worry me. Uh, I feel blessed to be in this congregation where they want me to fully recover. So we'll be wrapping up season one of this podcast. This is the last episode. This is the grand finale, episode 12. So thank you for coming with us on this journey. And then what's next for me? My hope is to fully recover, to go into a radical remission, and to have a season two of this podcast or something similar. Who knows what God's going to do in this time of recovery? I need to wait and see because I follow Jesus and his spirit and I want to go where he leads. But I believe that Jesus can do it again. 
And here's why I believe that. I believe it because Jesus did similar miracles multiple times when he was here on earth. One in particular that I think is so apt for this situation is he fed the multitudes multiple times. So Jesus would go out to teach. Everybody sensed that he had this great wisdom, and so they wanted to hear from him. So people came from all over the place to hear him teach. And then when he would uh, get up on the hillside and start teaching, he would just go for it, and he'd teach for a long time. People wanted to keep hearing from him. He'd keep talking. Then they would get hungry. Then the disciples would say, what are we supposed to do with all these people? They need to eat. And Jesus would say to his disciples, "Uh, how many loaves of bread do you have? How many fish do you have? And they'd never have enough. They were always way short. And the first time, Jesus said, feed the people. And as they broke the the bread and as they passed out the fish, it just kept multiplying and everybody was fed and there was leftovers. And then soon after, Jesus was teaching. The multitudes came from all over. They needed to be fed. The disciples asked, what what are we going to do? And Jesus said, how many loaves of bread do you have? How many fish? Same thing. They just kept multiplying. Everybody was fed. And then the disciples, right after one of those times, they get into the boat and they don't have food for themselves. And they they ask Jesus, hey, what about us? What are we going to do? And Jesus said, do you not understand? I got you. And Jesus took care of them as well. And so, listen, I've already seen a miracle of God in my life. And although I was at first tempted to think most people don't get to experience a miracle and probably even fewer get to experience two miracles in their life, I'm now convinced that experience a miracle in the first hand only gives me more confidence that Jesus can do it again. And so I'm expecting a miracle in one way or the other. I don't know exactly how he's going to choose to do it. I don't know what it'll look like. I am prepared to go into this unknown fire saying, my God can deliver. But even if he doesn't, and I have full hope that just as that story ended for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it'll be the same for me. And I know that you are facing some kind of unknown. There's some kind of problem in your life that doesn't have a solution, or at least not yet. Just want to remind you that your God knows the beginning from the end. He knows all things. The, the pieces that are missing, the mystery that is unknown, he understands that, and he is for you. So if that God is for you, who can be against you? That is a God that you can trust. That's a God who you can find peace in. Listen, life is precious, and we're not promised 90 years. So I want to encourage you to say the things that you should say. Have no regrets by holding back words. Make sure in the days that God has blessed you with that you say the things that you should say. Thanks for listening to my words. Thanks for praying for me. I would covet your prayers if you would continue to pray for me on this journey. Uh, As I step out of my church's pulpit, I have set up a website, jhewitt.org, where I'll be putting out a weekly email that just gives an update on my health, uh, ways that you can pray specifically for me, and then insights of how I see God interacting in this whole thing. And so if you would like to get that email, you can go to jhewitt.org and subscribe there and stay connected with me. And I believe God's got good things in the future for me, Uh, for my ministry, and hopefully for those of you that I've connected with, that we can stay connected 
and follow Jesus as he continues to lead. So thank you. Thanks for being with me. And this has been a great season one. <laughs>